Here's the one positive use case that I'm comfortable with for 5G going forward. Hi, I'm Greg Young. And I'm Bill Malik, and you're listening to Real Cybersecurity. So how's life? Great, and I'm excited about today's topic. Ah, yes. This is, this is a hot one. Probably more marketing dollars have been spent on this topic since cryptocurrency and possibly PKI. Yes. <laughs> PKI came up this week because there's apparently it is again the year of PKI. And I had somebody bothering me and I had to tell them, no, no, it's always this year plus one is the year of PKI. Mm. But yes. 5G. 5G. Here's the deal with 5G. I'm normally real Pollyannish, sunshine, roses kind of person. But there are things about 5G that I think the general public probably has been misled about just a eensy weensy itty bitty bit. Probably the biggest thing is that nobody's doing 5G yet. Right. <laughs> and we'll, we'll go from there. Probably requires some level of explanation. 5G is not one thing. It's actually three things, each of which is going to be occurring next year, three years down the road, and five years down the road. Right. It's not just a your 4G connection becomes 5G and gets a little bit faster on your mobile device. There's some, some other differences there. Substantial differences. Those of you who've been using mobile phones for a while will recall when we went from analog to cellularized transmissions, we had to change handsets. 5G actually uses a different set of frequencies, which requires different antennas and a different configuration, both in the phone and in the world. Many more base stations. The higher frequencies are a good thing and a bad thing. They're a good thing because you can carry more information. If you think about the number of waves per unit time, which means you can do more with modulation. You can do more encoding on that platform. The disadvantage is that higher frequencies require a greater amount of energy. And therefore, since we don't want to be building new power plants just to keep 5G in the air, we're going to have to use much lower power devices, which therefore are going to be very limited in range. We're talking a few hundred feet. And that's it. Now, there's, let me, let me dispel a bit of a myth. Some people are worried that 5G is going to subject us all to incredible amounts of electromagnetic radiation. The amount of power in a 5G handset is four or five orders of magnitude less than the EM radiation that we bathe ourselves in every night by turning on a light bulb. So let's please flatten the whole thing about 5G is going to introduce a lot of dangerous radiation. That's, that's just not an issue. Right, right. The number of antennas is an issue. And then there's you know all the stuff that goes on behind it. <laughs> there's a new architecture. And what do I mean? There's a new way of providing function. Because remember, 5G is going to give us ultra-reliable, low latency. And what does that mean? It means the system doesn't fail nearly at all. You're not going to have the stuff drop. And the low latency means it's going to be quick. They want to be able to get there and back in a millisecond or less. Current infrastructure can't do that. So we're going to have to put a heck of a lot of computing resource close to the people that are using the handsets. Or in the case of 5G, close to the machinery that are using the handsets. Right. Some folks have talked about satellite in 5G. Nah, it ain't going to happen. 
And here's why. An EM wave goes 186 miles in a millisecond. So if you've got a satellite in Earth orbit, in order for it to get down to that distance, it's going to have to be in a somewhat elliptical orbit, and it's only going to be useful for five or 10 minutes wherever you're standing. And there can't be anything between you and the satellite. There can't be a wall. There can't be a ceiling. There can't be a tree with foliage on it. There can't be heavy rain either. Right. All of those things will block the 5G frequency spectrum. And by the way, getting up there and back, getting up there and back, it's going to take more than a millisecond. It's going to take two milliseconds. So you're already out of bounds. So satellites have no role in active 5G communication. Backhaul, sure. You know, you've got some data, you want to upload it, you're on 5G, you might as well send it to a satellite, but that ain't it. You use 5G to uh, control machinery, you want to be pretty close to that machinery. So there's going to be, it sounds like a sprinkling now of uh, antennas. So instead of just having one big tower, is that going to stay the same? So we have these, you know, 4G cell towers distributed about, is is that going to change? Can be more of them or is it the same towers that are just going to have upgraded infrastructure on them? There are going to be many, many, many more towers. As you walk down a block in New York City, you will have line of sight to multiple towers that will be less than 100 meters away. They'll be on the sides of buildings a couple every block. That's why you're not going to see much use of 5G for long distance because nobody is going to fund putting a 5G antenna every couple hundred feet along the interstate or alongside high-speed rail line. It just won't work. In order to get high volume, low latency communication, you'll have to have your edge computing device right there with you, and it'll have to do some sort of processing analysis. It'll be able to ask for help and get information up and get results back, but that's going to take time, and there you're going to break the uh, millisecond uh, latency uh, threshold. So it's going to be a very rigorously constrained environment, and it's going to require a bunch of antennas. Now, they're not big. Think about, say, a box containing typical Venetian blind, you know, so a rectangular uh, space that's going to sit on the wall. There's physics behind it. They're going to use what's called beam forming in order to follow you as you turn a corner with a handset in your hand. The signal's going to bounce off of walls. They're going to use multiple antennas with these alternate paths in order to figure out where you are and what direction you're going and get information to you optimally over two or three or four of these. It's really complicated. Okay. So as a threat-minded person, bad guys like a few things. So one is things that are new because they haven't been beaten on for a while and had good developed security in them. Number two is I like a lot of things out there because the more targets, the better, the wider the sort of threat surface. And number three is physical access. If I can physical access to something, woohoo, you know, that's great. I can't climb a cell tower today, but you hear the sound of me rubbing my hands together as I say, ooh, physical access to these devices. What's going on there? So from a security perspective, it sounds like the landscape is definitely going to change with 5G. Oh, yeah. It's a significant increase in all three of those dimensions. The physical access one is really kind of interesting. There was actually a demonstration at, I believe it was RSA three or four years ago, where some folks showed how easy it was to build a fake cell tower. And they were able to do it with less than $1,000 of equipment cobbled together. And, right, and, right. You know, and they could jump in. Well, the production cost of a 5G cell base station is going to be under $500, possibly under $200 once the volumes ramp up, which means you don't have to build it. You can just buy it and you're on the air. Right, right. Or Raspberry Pi yourself and into something easy. That's that's right. That's right. You know, if, uh, 5G on $5 a day. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. I can see that. Uh, yeah. And that means 
means you're in. What's going on under the covers, the layers of complexity? Think about the number of times a signal is going to be handed off from one person to the next, from one tower to the next. Think about the times you're going to have to provision new applications as you're running these things. And because it's not centralized, each one of these zones, local collections of cells, is going to have to have its own edge computing platform that's going to have to provision this stuff. And they're doing it not with custom hardware. They're doing it with good old virtualization, which means as you turn the corner, the stack, the software stack, the infrastructure, the specific provisioning to your phone and the specific provisioning to the apps that are active, that's going to have to be torn down and replicated at the next cell station. So you're going to be bringing up and tearing down these complex stacks of infrastructure and applications literally many times a minute, just as you walk down the street. Now, that's not going to be done manually. It's going to be done automatically. So there's a huge burden. Orchestration, right. that is going to be a beast. We don't know what vulnerabilities there are in terms of hypervisors, but we know if there's one, whoever cracks it owns the entire stack. They own everything you're seeing and everything everyone else is seeing through that local collection of, uh, of towers. And with, you know, 5G aspires to talk about thousands and thousands of users per square kilometer, you basically own a couple of city blocks in Manhattan where you can now examine this cell traffic at your leisure. It's, it's perilous. So what's the big topics in security then right now for 5G? So clearly, I think mobile device upgrades, you know, that's kind of a footnote. But in terms of all this extra infrastructure and the like, what are, what are some of the dis big discussion topics going on in 5G security? And why are we even talking about it? We went from three to four without a big hubbub. You've described some of the differences, but what are these big topics right now? Well, the big, the big concerns are how do you get the automation to work with the speed and volume of change that's going on? Every time you have to provision a new environment or deprovision it, every time you have to save state, the mechanism by which you do that is another attack surface. Now, one conversation on analog where the only way to interrupt the thing was to physically tap the wire to simple early digital where all you had to do was pick the signal out of the air. Now, layers of uh, some base basic encryption for some pieces of messages are in there. 5G, we're increasing the number of edges by orders of magnitude, and we're not using the custom cell network. All this traffic is going over our friend, the internet. So vulnerabilities in the internet now become vulnerabilities in 5G. Right. Just because of the choice to go with a less expensive platform which had, from the perspective of the people over in telco land, a proven technology. There's a lesson in there in the industrial control system, the old name for what we can all call IoT and industrial IoT. They had developed their own mechanisms for getting information to and from devices. Well, in the 1990s, the engineers behind industrial control technology said, gee, this internet thing really seems to be taking off. Why don't we just use that? And those software guys are doing such great things with networking rather than reinventing at the wheel. Why don't we just use the proven technology they have in space? And so they picked DCOM and they picked OLED, the 1990s versions, and built that into the control systems for the first decade of the 21st century's ICT stuff. Well, guess what? It turned out those core technologies were so fragile, they couldn't be fixed, and they were actually taken out of the Windows operating system. The original versions are no longer available from Microsoft, but they're still running in ICT. We're seeing this again. The stuff they're building into the 5G platforms is the best available right now, as viewed by people on the outside who are not right. 
information security experts. It's a very fragile structure. There was a, a great comment. If builders built buildings the way software developers write software, the first woodpecker that came along would destroy civilization. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think 5G is going to be a proof point of that. Yeah. And you mentioned the IoT side as well. Of course, now the, the big difference, unlike today, like certainly in factories, there's a lot of, you know, cell connectivity and there's also sort of, you know, Wi-Fi connectivity for a lot of you know, industrial devices. But this looks like the change is going to be for 5G that we're going to have both of those proper 5G be the one sort of way people will connect likely these, maybe still some Wi-Fi, but 5G is going to be much more prevalent. Is that a true sort of assumption? I think that's correct. And here's the one positive use case that I'm comfortable with for 5G going forward, and that's the specific environment that you'll see the abbreviation is NPN. What it stands for is non-public networks. Right. So let's say you've got a warehouse, or you've got a factory, or you've got a distribution center, and you own that land, you own that space. It's your building. Putting 5G in there is actually better than using Wi-Fi. 5G, because it's higher frequency, is limited in range at the same amount of power, and the beams can be directed much more carefully. You can't aim a radio at anybody, but you can certainly aim a flashlight at somebody. You can aim a microwave tower at something. And so you can set up your factory or distribution center or what have you with 5G towers that only address the contents of that space. If you try to do it with Wi-Fi, you can stand outside like our colleagues did with the uh, hacking and takeover of industrial cranes using low-power conventional radios. Well, 5G prevents that. And because you control the infrastructure, you can decide what's on 5G, whose products you use, and how it's wired together. Within that very controlled environment, 5G should work just great. You're going to be talking few hundred thousand feet of distance. How big is your factory? You're talking a limited predetermined set of applications and of transmission capabilities. You can put as much monitoring and security on top of it as you feel is appropriate. You're not going to be limited by the need to support a blue million devices and an unknown number of unknown people and, and things. Okay. So it sounds like that today where we have factories or other locations that have a mix of Wi-Fi or other mobile enablement, um, it's going to go down to much like we have sort of internet and intranet using IP. To, this is going to be the same, except it's going to be 5G on both sides. One will be private and one will be public. Yeah. So that should help standardization for security because you know more emphasis then will be placed on sort of 5G security rather than having to keep multiple formats and protocols alive. Absolutely. And that will give us the ability to come up with good design patterns. Here's how this company was able to automate their warehouse. Here's how this authority was able to securely automate the activities of this major port. I expect to see 5G playing there. In the general case, we're talking about the nightmare scenario for me is, is smart cities where you have every piece of technology that's ever been built and some custom stuff that nobody knows the design of. <laughs> all connected to the same hub, all spraying information back and forth. Again, on top of a platform that has this, I'm going to call it fragile stack of virtual environments layered from infrastructure up through applications. Some things are moving fast, like the cars that need to move aside for emergency services. Some things are moving slowly, like you know, how's the water going through the water system? Some things are going to be popping up like an alarm indicating a possible fire or pollutants in the air. 
And then somebody drives into town with a brand new Mark III whatever automobile, and all of a sudden there's this twerk, this twist to what's being broadcast and what's being received. Every, every hacker and their brother is going to have a, a $299.95 build-your-own-5G antenna kit, uh, just like uh, we used to do crystal radios back when I was a little kid. Right. Did you ever <laughs> work with a crystal radio? Yes. Yes, I've worked with many kinds of radios. Ah. Some of them encrypted, of course, during different different jobs and things. And uh, yeah, ah. and secure telephones, though. Hey, yeah, well, sat phone, right? Yeah, sat phones can be really secure. They're also got big, bulky antennas, and they do not have anything like one millisecond latency thresholds. It seems like you know this may change. Is probably fair, unfair to just sort of bring this to the left field. But from thinking about lawful access, the lawful intercept. With so many devices out there, it seems like the control that you know, formula is going to change because right now we have a few towers. You know, hey, we can you know ping where people are, and the, the carriers have exceptionally rigid control of these. But with all these devices out there, I expect that that's going to change. I'm not. Uh, I would like to dig into that more. I don't know if you have the answer to that, but I expect that the lawful intercept, the ability to triangulate or locate people, will change in two perspectives. One is maybe the accuracy will get better. Because these small devices, but number two is that maybe harder to do a inter- lawful intercept sort of re- request satisfaction. I think you're onto something there. The lawful intercept does have a burden of paperwork. Well-funded agencies that are interested in knowing what people are doing, especially people who don't want people to know what they're doing, would be able to stand up their own networks. Didn't we have something like this in D.C. a couple of years ago, where there was a network of fraudulent 4G towers? Right. That basically were there just, well, you could do that now on the kind of budget that a metropolitan police department wouldn't have trouble covering. Yeah, I think there's uh, lawful intercept will become harder, but uh, inappropriate, unsanctioned intercept will become a heck of a lot easier. Hmm. There's a twist. We always talk about the cost of security. Well, here, here it is in boldface caps. And it looks like, you know, this whole backdoor security, like whether it be now with devices, because, you know, cell towers have a lot of pretty proprietary equipment on them. Uh, it sounds like it's going to be a much more commoditized. So the ability to backdoor these sounds like a much different scenario than it is with the current mobile wireless sort of infrastructure that's out there today. Uh, absolutely correct. The entire stack for 5G is going to be commoditized and publicly available. The information is flowing over the same old internet that we use for everything else, which means if you can put some kind of a tap on there, uh, you'll see it all going by. Now, it's going to go by pretty fast. They're high volume, but hey, that's 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 not a matter of theoretical challenge. That's just a matter of how much money can you afford to buy the number of Raspberry Pis you need <laughs> to decrypt that. But yes, in terms of the, the specific issue of localization, if you have a lawful intercept request, you'll be able to track people to within 30 centimeters of their true position based on the the cells they have. And and by the way, just, just as a side, you did mention this briefly, 5G requires a new handset. The frequencies travel over such narrowly defined bands that if you have one antenna in your phone and you turn your head, you'll drop the signal. So 5G handsets have to have a pair of antennas that are set at 90 degrees. Wow. So as one antenna loses the signal, the other one picks it up. That's how fragile this frequency range is. And we're running out of spectrum. In fact, one interesting thing I saw was to facilitate 
some, fi- I believe it was a 5G case, the FCC has authorized the buyback of frequencies that are owned by broadcast organizations but unused. And the two companies that agreed to sell their unused bandwidth are each receiving, this is in the US, over $5 billion each just to give back a resource that they got at auction and never actually put to use. Yeah, Spectrum Spectrum is limited. You know, I used to work at the Department of Communications and one of the great, very important tasks they did was uh, Spectrum Auction. It was involved in making sure that helping those were secure, of course. Um, yeah, that's you know big money involved in this stuff. And it is limited. We take it so for granted today because uh, Spectrum is money. Yeah, if you want to broadcast a signal, you got to get permissions from everybody. One of the um, satellite startups put a satellite up there, began broadcasting, and the next thing they knew, they had a $900,000 fine because they hadn't gotten permission to use the frequencies they were using, and they were screwing with somebody's Atari Game Boy or microwave oven or something. Or both. <laughs> <laughs> you, or you, you can't do that. Right. Yeah, well, obviously, we're not done talking about this. You know, 5G, is it's early. Like you said, the handsets, there's some bad advertising going on that they're sort of, you know, 5G ready or whatever, but really, potentially, you know, the infrastructure is not rolled out yet in many cases. But, um, I have the sense that this is going to happen fast and there's going to be significant disruption both in infrastructure and in, um, in security with this. So I don't think we're done with this topic. Not at all. One, one more thing about the 5G enablement. Saying that my 4G LTE handset is 5G enabled is about as accurate as saying that my eight-year-old Audi is electronic car enabled. Right. And the reason you could say that is because it's got four wheels and a windshield and brakes. But if you actually wanted to make it an electric car, you'd have to replace, starting from the front, <laughs> the radiator, the, the generator, the motor, the transmission, the wheels, and the brakes. But it's a 5G-ready car. Right. So you know, big big grain of salt here. Yeah. And with the increased this accuracy of location you mentioned, you know, the privacy impacts of this, uh, I think, get amplified by magnitudes as well. So it's very interesting, especially since the, the control of the antennas is potentially changing as well. So yeah, more to more for us to dig in here. Fascinating stuff. So this is definitely the new frontier for communications. You bet. Great. Well, this has been Greg Young and Bill Malik, and this has been Real Cybersecurity. How do folks reach us, Greg? They can reach us on 5G <laughs> uh, or any other protocol. They can reach us on Twitter at Real Cybersecurities out there, Real CyberS. And we have an email as well. Oh, I love this. You can send us encrypted email or in clear text. Yes. Or in pictograms even at, um, what are we, podcast at realcybersecurity.net. Dot. I'm talking about network stuff today, so net. Dot net. Not just any net, but dot net. Yes, dot net. Thanks very much for your time and attention. Hey, great talking to you. And I'm, uh, we're not done with this topic, so this is good stuff. And I appreciate you uh, enlightening me today. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Take care. That brings us to the end of this edition of Real Cybersecurity. I'm Greg Young. And I'm Bill Malik. Thanks for your time and attention today and joining us on our journey. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Real Cybersecurity. And our email address is podcast at realcybersecurity.net. Thanks. Thanks.